Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach, one of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. So how many times have you heard the words bounce back? And it's what we say to every leader when he or she hits a rough patch. We'll say, just bounce back, which sounds like such a simple thing to do and incredibly easy to do. However, it's not that straightforward. Sometimes careers, in truth, get sidelined. By accident, on purpose, because you took a pause, because something went wrong, just because you were in the wrong place at the wrong time. There could be a host of reasons. And getting your career jump-started takes a lot more than just words. So what we want to talk about today is how do you do that? So my guest is Fawn Germer. Fawn is an irreverent, beloved, best-selling author of nine books, including one of Oprah's favorite books called Hard One Wisdom. She's been a keynote speaker for more than 80 Fortune 500 companies, and she was nominated for the Pulitzer Prize four times for her work as an investigative reporter. That was before she became a best-selling author, I might add. So, and I should also say that Fawn's first book was rejected by every major publisher in the U.S., but she didn't give up until it was a number one nonfiction bestseller that Oprah loved. Her newest book, Coming Back, was released in January, and the book really talks about how to turbocharge your career by changing the way you change. She's interviewed hundreds of the most accomplished leaders in our times, including famous CEOs, prime ministers, presidents, Nobel Peace Prize winners, Academy Award winners, all sorts of people um, who revealed how their success is born in risk and how power comes from consciously disabling our doubt and our self-esteem issues. So Fawn loves to hear from people, so please feel free to get in touch with her. You can find her on Facebook, Fawn Germer, or on her website, Fawn, F-A-W-N-G-E-R-M-E-R dot com. Fawn, welcome to the show. Thank you, Wanda. Good to see you. It's good to see you, too. It's good to see you, too. I always like to start at the very top, which is why. Why do you care about this rebooting career? What got you started on this whole journey? I was speaking at a leadership conference, and afterwards, some very well-known, super accomplished leaders who you would read about in the Wall Street Journal and elsewhere started talking about feeling like they were being sidelined and cast out. This shocked me because it sounded exactly what I, like what I was hearing from my neighbors and my friends. And I thought, oh, my God, it's age. I'm going to write a book on age discrimination. And I had the whole thing visualized. And I, I like to do a ton of research for my book. So I talked to over 300 people for this one. And this was CEOs, uh, senior executives, academics, consultants, professionals to find out what it is that causes careers to start to kick the bucket. And it wasn't age discrimination, although there is a ton of age discrimination. That's an explanation. It's not an excuse. So what I found was that people 
in their careers got on a track as, as you know, particularly if you're a baby boomer, you did what your parents did, which is go to school, get your skills, go to work, work really hard, and then expect that as you progress through your career, you're going to get more money and more respect because you'd accomplished all of this and that you had the experience and the know-how and everything changed. So that now experience is seen as, in many cases, a mark that you're a has-been rather than a has-it-all. And it is so easy to sidetrack yourself by simply falling off the conveyor belt of change because things are not stopping. Your skill set has to change constantly because you don't know what's coming. And if you're the last to know, then you're not justifying the higher salary you likely are getting. So all this stuff was coming in my head and I thought, I've got something here that is going to revolutionize the way professionals approach their professions and their jobs. And it's, it's tough. It's, it's tough love, actually. It's saying that you look in the mirror and say, what have I done to make sure that I'm the person best positioned five years from today for all of the coming change in technology, as opposed to being somebody who just did it, been there, done that, did it, has institutional knowledge. And if you haven't been actively seeking the new learning and getting in front of it, you have been painting yourself either invisible or even worse, which is irrelevant. So we have a lot of work to do. The good news is we can do it. We can fight it. We can have good careers from beginning to end, but we can't have them if we stay on autopilot. Right. That autopilot, that not keeping up with what is changing and how it's changing. Um, But I want to come back to something you said at the very beginning. You said our experience, we think, is what gives us our credibility and our respect in our careers and that I should become, in effect, an expert and that expertise is what's going to help me sustain my job, stay relevant, be important. And that speaks to the heart of what I care about because we get so wedded to that content knowledge that we don't think we should learn something new or change our content knowledge or that anything besides the content knowledge matters. And I think that's exactly what you're saying. Well, think about that old cliche we would hear a million times when some dumb boss came up with some dumb new idea. And we'd say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? Right. But we're in a marketplace today and a workplace that says, break it, disrupt it. Find a better way. Forget what you knew. So if you think that you know what you need to know, you don't. And if you think they don't get it, they get what they're doing and something's working for them. So that's that's what rules. Okay. So you find that this is not just due to age, this kind of getting... I'm going to use the word stuck, getting stuck in your expertise, getting stuck in your knowledge base, getting stuck in the ways that it's always been done, the traditional what has worked in the past and that we know is tried and true. I don't want to paint that as a bad thing because there's a lot of positive in it, but it's not just age. You see this happens to everybody. Right. And it's also people who take timeouts, they, they hit it just the same. If you took a long time out to raise your child if you took one for extended travel or to care for a loved one, they assume that because you've left the workplace, even for just two years, three years, they assume that you're done. You haven't been keeping up. 
So you have to actively get the knowledge that's going to put you in the mindset that you're leading them to five and 10 years down the road. And you have to brand yourself with that. So I can tell you about how to get the knowledge, but having it is one thing, but you have to make sure that others know you have it because then they don't lump you in with all the other people who are stuck there going, oh, what do I need to be doing? Why aren't they being nice to me? I see that all the time by people who say, why don't they see what I've done? And I think what you're saying is the emphasis is on what I've done. And I have to pause on this just for people who've taken a time out of their career. I don't care what the reason is. We tend to talk about that as mothers taking time off to go for kids, but it could be fathers. It could be time to travel. It could be time at school. It could be any number of things that you needed to take a pause on. You tend to think that you should be able to come back in the company at the exact same level that you left and be at the same level as your peers when you left. But they've had a couple, three or more years advancing. You can't come back in with them. You're competing now with younger people. And if you start to think how much your email has changed, like, you know, the process of reading email, just that in the last three years geez, you would be way behind on tons of systems. So we underestimate the catch-up factor that's involved in that one. So that's my little spiel there about taking time out. It's harder to come back than you realize. No excuses. You just got to dig in and figure out what to do. Right. And that's what's interesting, too, is people think, oh, she's saying we can't take a time out. Half of my speaking business is on work-life balance. I am all for people taking that time out, living their life, having their values. But if you're going to do it, you need to be actively upskilling while you're out and taking the courses so that when you're ready to get back in, they see that you are insatiably curious. You've been doing your homework. You have the skills that you need to function. Now, are you going to have to take a pay hit? Probably for that. But and, oh, and I hope it comes back. Too. Yeah, and I hope it comes back too. I mean, money isn't everything. Right, this right. All right, so let's go back to ground zero. Um, let's say I haven't taken a time out of my career. I'm just inside a company. And I feel like I'm worried that my career has gotten sidelined. What are the signals that would say to me, yes, I should be worried? You're right, Wanda, it is side- getting sidelined. Well, the, the biggest one is if you see it happening to your peers and you can understand why it happened to them, chances are it's probably happening to you and you're just being blind to it because people are shocked, shocked that it would happen to them. That's just a good performance. You know, they just think they see it. So there's that. If you're not getting opportunities that you expect, if you're not getting respect, if you're not getting the raises that you think you deserve, if you don't feel heard and there tends to be a good extended period of denial about this because how could this be? You've been so loyal and dedicated and you have delivered. So how could they be doing that to me? I mean, that's yeah. just, but you have to look in the mirror and say, mm, something's not right. And I've, I've got in my book, I've got this whole list of questions so that you can tell if you're on the has it or has been list. Okay. And, and you need to chase that. You need chase to chase that down. Right. Right. I also find people tend to want to blame a manager. Well, oh, it's that manager. They used to like me and now they don't like me so much or somebody else is a favorite or they're just having a problem or, and we put the blame on the manager that's not helping and start to look for ways to run around the manager. Whereas you're saying the time is to stop and do the hard evaluation about myself. Where am I really? And 
with this caveat, my, my entire second career as an author and speaker is the, the ingratitude for the biggest jerk boss <laughs> in the world who tried to derail my career. So there are bad bosses and there are bosses. And I understand that that deserve blame for some things, but before you blame someone else, really look in the mirror. Look at what you're projecting. Are you projecting that you are the voice of the future? Are you, and you have to be really honest about this one. Technologically, are you able to do even as much as a new hire out of college? Because they come out with more skills than we have and they'll do it for a half the cost or a third the cost and do more work. And we think we're offering more because we've been there and the the workplace doesn't care about that. So we have to look at how we are positioned with younger people. And if, if we're delivering that, we have to be very honest. And then we have to look in the mirror and say, how do I look today? Because if you're honest and you're looking a little bit frumpy or sloppy, it's not going to cut it. Because if the goal is to be in the number of people, whether it's 50% who don't suffer discrimination or 40 or 20 you want to be in that group, in that workplace that doesn't. And you're not going to get there by looking like yesterday's news. So you have to look good and you have to have your skills up to date and you have to be excited about what you're doing and care and engaged and talk about new trends and things to show you've still got it happening. Because otherwise, you go right in that, that group with the other people who are just giving up. Sliding into irrelevance. Okay. All right. So I want to pick up on appearance, but let me do first the skills because I want to focus on the skills. What is it that I need to be doing, staying up with? I mean, there's a thousand and one things going on. So what matters and what doesn't matter? How do I know if I've kind of slid behind? The first thing you do is you Google. You look at your industry. Now, let's say you're in accounting. You Google trends in accounting and then trends in the kind of counting, and then trends in your the, the accounting business. Okay, so you see that and you see how artificial intelligence is going to start replacing people who do this, this, and this. So the first thing you do is you learn about artificial intelligence so you can discover where the opportunity is going to exist after that happens. And so you look up the trends and you constantly read everything. You read Every day, Wall Street Journal, check the, the headlines there. Read things like the Harvard Business Review and Inc. and Fast Company and Bloomberg and New York Times because you want to see if there are th- articles that are pertinent and things that are coming in the future, but you don't have to read every single word of every article. You just need to know what's going on. So in many cases, you'll just read the summary And then in other cases, you'll say, this is important. I have to read the whole thing. Or you might say, this is interesting. I want to read it. And having knowledge is great. And then the other thing is you have to take classes. And the good news is there is great, understandable coursework available online. My two favorite are with uh, edX.org and Coursera.org, C-O-U-R-S-E-R-A.org. And these have courses at Harvard and Yale and Stanford and, and all these great schools, Oxford and, and with those professors. And you can't say on your resume that you studied artificial intelligence at Harvard 
because you didn't. You're not a Harvard student. But you can say added coursework recently and then list that. And the first one I did was a class on innovation that I did with MIT. I'll never forget that because there I was back in this new educational environment. And and like always, I want to succeed. And the test was coming up and I was preparing for the test. And then it occurred to me, I have my degrees. I don't need (laughs) another diploma. I don't need the grade. I could flunk it. What I need is the information. So the pressure was completely off. And that's when I started taking a bunch of classes because it doesn't even matter if you don't finish the whole thing, take them and use them for what you can get. So these classes at Coursera and edX, best part of them, great schools, most of them can be taken for free as audits for free. So you look up artificial intelligence, blockchain, big data, machine learning, robotics, and, and take class in the, classes in those, and you get the latest, greatest from the best professors. What more could you want? They're making it easy for you. And then my final tip on that, if I may, some things are a little confusing, right? Some things like blockchain to me is confusing. Blockchain is about one piece of data that travels. It's what's used for Bitcoin and the cryptocurrency. It's also a big deal for uh, supply chain. And I would read articles. I didn't understand it. So then I started doing YouTubes, still didn't understand it. Then the day came when I saw a YouTube video on how to teach blockchain to a five-year-old. And the video was four minutes long. And I thought, hmm. So I watched it and then I understood it. So you don't have to be a programmer, but you have to know what's out there so that you can make suggestions on ideas and innovation that that they are going to do in the future. You're not going to be the programmer, but you have to know the technology. So I think this says anytime you hear a technology, even if you know nothing about technology, you're not interested in being a programmer, being an engineer, go find out what that's about is kind of just what's it about. And it's so easy to do with a Google now. Right. And, and I'm going to give one, to your business. Yeah, one of my favorite, and then talk to people inside right. your business about what they're doing and what they're thinking and so on. One of my favorite tips, one of the things I think you absolutely, totally cannot miss at the moment, this moment in time, something you said at the beginning, which is automation. I think everybody, everybody should be thinking about how do I automate parts of what I do day in and day out? You just can't afford to pretend that somebody else will figure it out for you. Or how are they going to do it? Yeah, exactly. I interviewed someone very highly placed who made the remark that 90% of the effort in that office was going into figuring how to replace human beings with artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. When they reviewed that before signing the release to the book, they wouldn't be quoted on it. Of course not. And of course not, right? But it tells you what's going on. Yeah. Wow, we've got this machine and we don't have to pay it any health insurance and it's cheaper and long run. So if that's coming, you have to figure out where the opening is. And there's an interview I did in the book with Shelly Broder. And Shelly used to be a president at Walmart and she was the CEO of Chico's FAS. Mm -hmm. And really a good person talking about evolving. And she talked about how people in business were so reactive when they heard of this new concept of 
going on the internet and seeing something you needed and buying it there. Mm-hmm. And they're like, no, it all has to be bricks and mortar, bricks and mortar. We, you know, it's all about the stores, all about the stores. And those resistors were the ones who dove into irrelevance. And they, some of them still stubbornly say that that's the cause of all their problems. Well, it doesn't matter because the world changed. And how much time do you spend going into stores right now? Yeah, right. Right? Yeah. The guy in my last interview said, where can we buy your book? And I just started to laugh because I started to think, I said everywhere. And I thought about having a book tour during COVID. It's, it's just not the same. It's not. It's I mean, not. people, right? I don't get to sign. And it's, I, I wanted to say, well, there were these places, these stores, and they used to have these things and they had books in them and they were called bookstores. But when's the last time you went to a bookstore? Yeah. Right? And so the world changed. You can't be holding on to what was. You have to be looking forward to interview. Right. Yeah. All right. So let's talk for a minute about um, working with the younger children. Well, no, before I do that, let me ask you about social media. So a lot of people resist social media. It can be a huge sink of time. Some are more active on, let's say, LinkedIn, which is a professional base. Some are not. You know, what's your advice? Can we afford to ignore all these mediums that are existing in the world? Well, it's like you mentioned before, I'm on Facebook. I'm actually on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, LinkedIn. It seems like there's something else. But... I play on Facebook. I mean, Facebook, for me, you know, I'm, I'm not in my 40s. And I'm just like posting pictures of kayaking and telling the story of the day and sharing this article or whatever. But I have to be on all of them. So I'm, I do social media on all of them. But I also have somebody that I hired to back it up because it's not where my brain is all the time. It has to be. Right. But if you, so, you have to know where your deficiencies are and make them up, right? And but you think it's essential to be active in social media oh, in some absolutely. form? Absolutely, because you can't suddenly show up there and say, "Oh, I need a job." And so you, you have to tend to your network the whole time, right? And you learn, you learn about what others are going through. <laughs> it's just, I have some sincere understanding for those who don't necessarily love it. I get it. I get I that people. I miss the, you know, the back. Yeah, the interaction. I agree with you on that one. And I'm too am active on every social media platform you can imagine. And it's also a good thing to get somebody to help you with. Um, I just want to underpin how critical that LinkedIn profile is for somebody meeting you. Often even within your company, they will check out your LinkedIn profile before they even agree to the meeting. And if it is not looking what they're expecting, there goes your first impression when you walk in the door. So get an expert, get a professional, read some books. We've done a couple podcasts on it, um, but it is critical. And having a really good photograph and a good opening tagline is just mission impossible, mission mandatory, I guess I should say, not impossible. Okay, um, last thing I want to talk to you about it before we take a break. And I'm going to do this at the end because I have a feeling we could spend the next two hours talking about it. And it's that dreaded word called millennials. 
I can't say that in a group with leaders and executives without spending the next hours with people moaning and groaning and, oh my gosh, and this generation and they don't understand and, you know, every other negative adjective attached to it. I might also add millennials are tired of hearing that. But what's your view about working with millennials? We weren't real nice to them. <clears throat> they didn't play by our rules. We didn't understand the sense of entitlement that they didn't want to wait for what we worked so hard to get to. They wanted satisfaction and gratification instantly. They would bound into the CEO's office with an idea. They didn't know chain of command. They didn't respect us. And so began a really horrific way to introduce two generations to each other. The deal was that the millennials delivered and big time and they made themselves very valuable. So even with their eccentricities, they delivered. So I think we should talk about this more because it's a huge issue. They're now the ones doing the hiring. They are in leadership positions and they're going to be more and more in control. So if you still have those attitudes that there's something wrong with them, you're going to be left behind just because of that attitude. That's a strong statement. For most of my clients, somewhere between 40 and 50% of their workforce are now millennials and with Generation Z coming right behind. And that is not all in the lower ranks, all working for those of us who are not a millennials and of another generation. So it's finding the positive in that generation that's really important. Okay, so Fawn, do you have advice? How do people learn to get over their frustrations with millennials' lack of respect for experience? How do we begin to talk about this in a better way? Get over it. There's there's not a choice. You know, stop complaining. These people hold the key to your success now. So you have to find out how to work with them on their turf. Now, doing that, I always say when you're dealing with people you don't understand and you have to win them over, go back to Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Read that again and then take another crack at it because we are playing on their turf now. They're not on ours. One of my favorite things to say about millennials is the regular complaint from um, Generation X, the one in the middle before the baby boomers, between millennials and baby boomers, is they often say that the millennials won't do the detailed work to learn all the, you know, minor how things function, all all the information about something. So my response is most of that information is now Googleable. or outsourceable, meaning I just send a ping to somebody and they'll answer it for me fairly instantaneously. And you have to question the value of holding all that stuff in your head, taking the time to acquire it and then holding all of your head. That feels like yesterday's news. Now, some parts of that is important, so we get insights, but not all of it. And kind of starting to appreciate that it's different, but it might be better suited to the world we're in is a stepping stone, I think. That is the truth. That is right there. You've nailed it. Okay, perfect. Well, this is a perfect place to take a break. So with me today is Fawn Germer. The book that we have been talking about is coming back. Um, you can find out more about Fawn at her website, Fawn, F-A-W-N-G-E-R-M-E-R.com. And we'll be right back.
If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadership-forum.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, helping organizations get it and keep it. Hi, I'm Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. We have some amazing guests with some incredibly good ideas about how to take your leadership to the next level. But I find people are looking for more practical ways of implementing those ideas. So we've created an individual subscription service specifically to focus on how to apply. You'll find more about that at www.outofthecomfortzone.com. We have two additional subscription services, one for the social group that want to exchange ideas and perspectives with a group and talk about career advancement. And we have a master's level for people who want to take a deeper dive, all on outofthecomfortzone.com. We hope you'll join us. This is Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. Do you find yourself in a role where your team knows more than you know? Are you struggling to see how you now add value? For years, I've coached leaders who have moved beyond the comfort zone of their expertise and have developed a methodology to help them make the leap and go on to do more. All of those tips are now packed into my new book, You Can't Know It All. Visit our website at leadership-forum.com or tune in to Out of the Comfort Zone for more insight. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadership-forum.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. I'm with Fawn Germer. The book we're talking about is Coming Back. The general idea is careers get sidelined. They get sidelined either because you take time out for a host of reasons or because you stop being, I'm going to use the word relevant in the workforce, meaning that resting on the experiences of what you know and what you've done and where you're an expert, your past, is not necessarily setting you up for what's coming in the future. It doesn't make you look like you're future-oriented. So staying, we've talked about the needs to stay on top of the latest technological trends, not to become a computer programmer, but to know what they're about and know how they're applied to your company. Things like how do you automate your work and not talking about your past, but talking about your future and learning to work with millennials. Um, positive experiences, and they're such a big part of the workforce. They're off on the ones that are now hiring the older generation. So Vaughn, I know you have a lot more to say about the whole millennials. What else do we need to keep in mind when we're thinking about how to work effectively with the millennials? Well, there's this rivalry and actually the millennials are very much like the boomers. Remember the boomers came up many in the sixties and they were very 
much concerned about the earth and and loving one another and everything. And the millennials are very mission driven as well. So they're not foreign aliens. I mean, they're just different <laughs> from us. They're, and and so we should be able to find that common ground. We just don't always make the effort to do that. And so sometimes when you're dealing with a millennial, you may catch yourself saying something like, oh, my granddaughter's your age, or I've got a son your age. That doesn't go over real well, because it sounds like you're trying to say, I'm so much further beyond you. And they don't like to be lectured, even if you know more, and even if you've got something that they want to know you can't start telling them like you're the one who knows it and they're not the ones that, and they don't, they hate that. They hate it. And so it's on us to find better ways to communicate. And we have to remember these kids, many came up in the time when member of the parents said, we could, I only talked to him or her like an adult and everybody gets a trophy. And that this is what the result was. The boomers raised them. This is the result. So we have to figure out how they communicate And when we're going to work with them, we have to earn that privilege. It's not their honor to work with us. We have to see it as the privilege of working with them. And they're looking for people who will collaborate with them. Millennials love to collaborate. So if you can show that you are going to work with them instead of talking over them, then you've got a shot here. So you have to show you're going to be a team player that you're not seeking any sort of elevation because you've been there and done that because it gets you nothing. And then once you start having those relationships, you can ask them to explain certain technologies to you. And then they'll get comfortable asking you how you lead people through different situations because that's going to be your strength. But you have to understand, you got to respect them more than they're going to respect you in the start because that's something we all created. Um, I've always said about working with millennials that, again, I'm going back to what you said in the beginning, if, is if you stop being relevant, meaning you're not up to speed on what's happening and what people are talking about, you become less interesting to them. I think that's true on a social level as much as it is on a work level. So I think you have to pay attention to what they're reading, what they're watching, what they're thinking, what, and be curious about it. Just ask about it. And I know when I say that to the millennial generation, they sit there nodding their heads, yes, 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 yes. And if you're willing to ask them a question and let them talk, be curious about their lives, not just their work output, but them as a whole being, I think that's also part of what will help you find uh, some common ground with them. That's right. interesting. But in, don't give them the grandparents' advice or the parents' advice. Right. Don't act like that at all. But the right. relevance thing is so huge. And we have this, this ability to brand ourselves irrelevant. We don't even know we're doing it. So you have to show that you're reading the things that they're reading and talk about them with them. Right. I'll stay up to text. So if you say, what is TikTok? I think at the moment, you're probably already getting branded in the wrong direction. Right. Whether you like TikTok or not, you need to know what it is. You don't have yeah. to speak or whatever else is happening. Um, or stay just stay curious, I think is the answer to that. One of um, uh, a friend who uh, was, before he retired, a very famous CEO, 
even in later years, has this infinite curiosity. And he always says, well, if the young kids are seeing this movie or talking about this thing, I want to see it too. I want to go. And he does. He just will go just out of genuine curiosity. And I think it's that kind of piece that keeps him relevant to what's happening today, even though he's much older. Yeah. Uh, it's when I was talking about Shelley Broder. When, remember when Pokemon was the thing? Yeah. She made her entire campus of her whole company go out and play Pokemon. So they understood what younger buyers and younger people were thinking and how they were doing it. And everybody's like, this is ridiculous. But it's the idea of going to where they are and then not being afraid of new things. When she told me that she got Alexa so that she could understand how artificial intelligence played in her life. So I, I got an echo. And I treat that thing like it's a person. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. I, I catch myself saying thank you and referring to it as a she yeah. and her. Mm-hmm. But that tells you how it's these awful. technologies are going to play into our industries because they're so smart. They are replacing humans. Right. Absolutely. All right. So I'm going to shift away from the millennial discussion, though I know, again, we could talk about it for hours and hours and hours on end. The point is to join them, not to fight against them, not to be negative about them, not to put them down and not to treat them like they're younger, inexperienced, don't know anything. Right. Um, They're driven by the experience, which is what also makes them so good at innovation because they're willing to dig in and say, let's see. All right, so enough said about millennials. You talked earlier about appearance, about not looking frumpy. And I think appearance cuts both ways. I can look too young and I can look too out of it. Out of it is not an age statement necessarily as it just is. I don't look like I'm up to speed, I guess. So let's talk first about the, you said the word frumpy. So what are our go-tos? What do we need to be thinking about to make sure our appearance is fit for purpose? Well, you you look in your closet. I mean, if it looks like something an older person would wear, it needs to be tossed. You don't need to be wearing something exposing your midriff. But you, we've all seen very fashionable people who are in their 70s, 80s, even their 90s, right? They, they've still got it going on. I think where it's difficult is we've got this tug of war with authenticity. So that, you know, if I'm being my authentic me, I'm going to be in a pair of flip-flops and shorts. And um, so you've seen people who stay dapper and stay with it. That's what you want to be. Now, if my authentic self, shorts and flip-flops, but no one hears me in that. Now, just because you may be working with millennials who are in shorts and flip-flops doesn't mean that that's what you're going to wear. So you have to show that you get a little bit of style with what you're doing, and you don't want to drown them out with having too much you know, you don't, you don't want to be so, like, you go to a, a job interview in a fancy, fancy suit, and they're all there in khakis. Well, somebody made a mistake and didn't get the memo. But your glasses make a statement about you and even your makeup. So you just have to kind of keep your game on and think about how you look and look in the mirror. It's, when I did, I, I ended up buying a lot of really nice designer dresses on eBay because I've just found these great deals. There are these beautiful, beautiful dresses and it just upgraded an entire wardrobe very affordably. And why not? Right. Well, and I also, you know, every company has its own style of how we dress there. 
So, you know, working with a traditional, let's say, insurance or banking company, there's a particular style. And working with a startup in that same industry, there's a completely different style. So you are always matching your level to the people that are around you. Again, that doesn't mean flip-flops because I think that's just a step maybe too far, but I'll leave that to everybody's judgment. It's um, if this is a jeans culture, then I need to be wearing something appropriate to a jeans culture as opposed to a fancy suit. And many, many ways to do it. What you're saying is we just don't want to look like this is 20 years old and out of date. Right. Or or that you're trying to be 20 years old. Okay. Still. Right. So it's, it's, it's both things like that. And, and I tend to tell people go one level above everybody else, but not three. Right. Right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Now let's do the flip side of that equation. And you also talk in the book about hair matters, glasses matter, makeup matters, cufflinks or socks or whatever it is in the, in the male direction. All of those matter as part of that image of I'm up to date. Right. So let's go the opposite direction. I get a lot of young people, particularly young women, who say to me, I don't have the problem of looking too old. I have the problem of looking too young. People assume I don't have the credibility I have because I look like I'm 20s and I'm not. So what's your advice in that case? What if you're getting the comment that you look too young? I wear fixes a lot. (laughs) You know, it's just your glasses. So put some older glasses on and, you know, just look at what you're projecting. It's really how you carry yourself also. Mm -hmm. And it's, that's your fashion. So there's a good fashion experience. You know what? That's why they have image consultants. Right. Okay. Fair enough. You also make a comment in the book that I like, which is it's not so much the clothing that you are wearing as it is the way you carry yourself in wearing that clothing. You talk about somebody can have a very dated look like uh, sweaters and pearls, for example, for women, and still carry it off and make it effective. So say a little more about that. Well, okay. So what you're saying is that I've said, these are things I quoted people saying. Ah, okay. So that, that I mean, I'm, I love this because I'm having the worst hair day while we're doing this. I'm thinking, oh, we're talking about that. But, but I remember specifically who said that was Amy Shea. And here's this woman who was working well into her 60s and was a go-to person in the office just because she was groovy. So instead of showing up in what you would always wear, just look at what it's going to take to be have a little bit of style and get the right jewelry and the accessories like that. Okay. And, you know, I, I would definitely tell people, base your fashion choices on an image person or somebody who knows more about that and, and plays to your strengths than what Fawn Germer would say, because I wouldn't be the fashion consultant you would talk to. All but, right, fair enough. But the important mistake there, but I got some cute dresses now. So <laughs> Great, I love that. Now we know your shopping tips too as right. well. Okay, but it is look up to date, not look like you're out of date or rump, rumpled or not well put together clean. or not professional. Yeah, keep it clean. Okay. And another okay. thing being so much of our business now is going on virtually, mm-hmm. Right. So you have to look at what you are projecting virtually and you check out everything in the screen. So several weeks ago, there was a public forum where I don't want to offend this person. It was a big public official making a presentation in a teenage boy's bedroom that was filthy. And as that was happening, 
texts were shooting back and forth between people saying, oh, my God, how long since she's dusted those blinds? Oh, my God, look at the smudge on the wall. Oh, they've got a mold issue by the AC, which is terribly catty. But it is a reminder that everything you're projecting is a part of you. So I I did an interview today, a media interview, and you could see the person's, a guy's laundry basket behind him. I could see his socks. (laughs) Dude, what are you thinking? That's right. You brand yourself. So so you got that visual. And then, um, and usually I'm good at carrying it out. It's like I told you I had this bad hair today, day to day. Usually I get, before I get on, I, I get the mirror out and I make sure that I'm projecting so that I can talk straight in there because this is a great opportunity. If everything's virtual, you can advertise who you are and your personality, but you just have to scrutinize what you're projecting. You smile. And then do, do you notice my computer's down here and I think Wanda's just awesome and beautiful, but I'm looking right here, which is where the camera's lens is, because that's how I communicate directly to you who's watching. Right. And, and that's, that is so important. So it's like these little things that are just as important as what you're wearing on you is what all you're projecting. Projecting right. I know um, lots of people have not enjoyed having everybody in their home and seeing the surroundings around them. And yes, I think there is a need to curate that one. The same time, I'm enjoying getting a sense of the personal touch if they've done it well. But I have to give a funny story. So one of my CEO clients is interviewing a young guy, not too young, a guy for a particular opportunity. And the guy is sitting in his bedroom, as many of us have been doing. And the problem is the CEO is saying to me, that is too personal, (laughs) meaning I'm too, that's just too close. And he said, it's bad enough, but the bed is unmade. So like here I am sitting there (laughs) with him sitting in front of the bed is a shambles. Like, gee, you couldn't, couldn't he? People are not thinking. I'm telling you, that's, I've got a blog post going up this week about that very thing because my book just came out. I'm doing interviews day, day in, day out. And last week was the one with the unmade bed from a major webcaster yeah well I got on there and I'm thinking is this for real yeah I, mean, it's like, I, I just I kept waiting for her to switch on the virtual background or something yeah. and she didn't and that's your brand that's an unmade that. bed Not a good look. (laughs) Not a very good look, it's true. All right, so let's go back and recap. This whole notion of coming back means I have to figure out that I'm going to have to work at it, that my past experience is not going to carry me through, that it's much more my up-to-date willingness to change, see new opportunities. I have to find a way of working with the millennials and respecting them in a really positive way. I need to be up-to-date on technology and whatever else is a trend in my industry so that I can at least talk about it. Don't have to be an expert, but I have to understand how it impacts us. I need to stay up to whatever topics are relevant for me. I need to understand the social media, have a strong presence in social media. And I need to worry about my own appearance so that I look up to date as well. Okay, that's a long laundry list. I think we skipped too many of those. Let's talk about the one piece that's missing, which is networking. Most important is the networking. Yeah, and I say the best one to last. So most people ignore their network, except for the few that they deal with day in and day out. They just don't think about all the rest. 
until it's too late and they need them. So give us your tips about how do you go about networking? What, what do we need to be thinking about here? Okay, the first thing is that an unused network is useless. And particularly with women, women are often reluctant to leverage their network because they don't want to put someone out. When you create a network, it is far more important that you create new friendships than it is that you meet someone as a business acquaintance and then connect in that way and share titles and then send an article every now and again for me, okay? That's not going to help you. If you want to network me, it is much more important that you figure out, oh, Fawn, she is a passionate kayaker and she loves the outdoors and she has a big black pit bull that she rescued or whatever it is that will connect us as friends, build the friendships, nurture those friendships. And how hard is it to nurture friendships if they're cool people? And don't be afraid to have friendships with people who are way higher than you on the food chain at work, make friendships. And then when the time comes and you need a favor, call in the chit. You don't just say, do you mind to send my my resume and around, can you do that for me? No, you say, can you walk this over to so-and-so and have him call me tomorrow or set up a call where I can do a Zoom and coffee maybe this week and ask specifically what you want. Tell them you want a, them to walk it in and set up uh, an email introduction and give you that reference right there. Say exactly what you need and when. And the way they do that and the way you do that, when you're asking for help, you don't pussyfoot around it. You put in your subject line, personal favor, and you call in the chit. Now, when you do that, you can't do that in two weeks again. So you're using your collateral there and you say, this is what I need. And they generally do it. And you figure out how much time needs to elapse before you do something else but you very specifically ask for what you need. And then you have a network that's worth having. Because if you have a network and you think, oh, I don't want to ask him that, that person's not in your network. Your network will help you. Um, I often say to people, when you're looking for a new opportunity, you may talk to, may end up talking to 100 people before you actually find the right kind of opportunity. So that it's friends of friends and of friends often that open the door for the opportunity, not your immediate set. Right. So you agree with that? I mean, the hundreds an exaggeration, yes. but I want to encourage but, people to think much more broadly. Well, and let's talk about networking right now during all the COVID because people are like, oh, well, there are no events. It's a great time to network because nobody's doing anything. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have the right network, start by this. Ask somebody that is one of your mentors to do a Zoom, Zoom and wine, or wait, what do we do? FaceTime and wine and Zoom and coffee, whatever. Okay. Find your way to have your time with them. And then say in a week, how do you feel about having someone who mentored you on the call? So then you bring that person's mentor on. And then you get that mentor to bring their mentor. And quickly, your power ratchets right up because you're getting introductions from their people. And then they'll help you. And don't be afraid to ask for help. The worst thing that can happen is somebody says no. And in my many years on this earth, a few people have said no, but 95% have said yes. Also, when you're on LinkedIn, 
figure out the 10 companies that you want to work with or that you want to be affiliated with, start adding people in those companies, comment on their posts, and then after a time, then write, say, hey, I really like that thing you shared. And then comes the moment where you say, hey, I really am interested in your company. Is there a way you would do a 15-minute Zoom and coffee with me? person may say no, but I'm telling you, probably are going to get a yes. Okay. I love that. So just to reiterate, find a comp- companies that you'd like to be part of, that you're interested in at least. Don't fake that one, something you're genuinely interested in. Find people in on LinkedIn who are part of those companies that are a connection that you can make. Notice what they're posting. Comment on that one. And then after you said, I love this after time, like make a couple of comments and then say, could we have a Zoom and a coffee for 15 minutes? I think that's the secret. When it's 15 minutes, people are much more likely to give it to you because it's not a huge sink of time or they're not going to get stuck on a Zoom for a long time. And also, if I run out of things to say, 15 minutes is fairly easy to fill. Right. 30 minutes can be a little hard and then it can be really, really awkward. And, and know what it is that you want. This is so important because a lot of times people are forced to reinvent themselves and they don't know what to do. And that is excruciating. And I understand that. But if you're going to get FaceTime with somebody, and I write about this in my books, the guy went to a CEO, he got FaceTime, somebody set it up and met with the CEO. And he, he basically said, I'm really smart and creative. What do you think I could do here? Yeah, right. And it made the guy furious. He goes, don't, don't come to somebody like me with that because I can't, I'm not going to figure out your life, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm happy to help you if you know what you want. So get an idea of what you want by talking with your people, your friends, take tests and inventories. And then if you're still trying to figure out who you are, that's not the time to be doing the things where you say, hey, what do you see me doing? Unless the person truly knows you. Right. Right. So somebody who's close enough to be a mentor where you can say, where else? I often say to people, you know, spend the time to understand what you think your real skills that you bring to a potential employer are. Um, Have some examples of those. And then you can ask, where would these kind of skills be most valued in your organization? That's at least point you in the direction of who else you should talk to. Exactly. And then you can ask for the introduction. I think it's, right. a, it's at least a step in that direction along the way. Okay, Fawn, my last question, oh which is about you. So I want to know what takes you out of your comfort zone, and then how do you manage? Only one thing, period. Okay. I can't stand alligators. That's it. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not lying. I live in Florida. I'm a big kayaker. I, the, the odds are with me, and yet I know one person whose dad was killed by a gator and another one who had her arm eaten off. The odds of knowing anybody who's been affected by gator are zero, but I go out in the wild, so that's the only thing. I'm uncomfortable around alligators. Everything else, I will do anything because I've learned it's okay to fail. It's okay to fail. We, if, you, if you don't fail a little bit, you're nowhere near your limits. So, Try things. And and if something doesn't work, try something else because you'll get where you need to go. Just keep taking the next step. So I'm not afraid of that. I'm just, it's alligators. What do you do around alligators when you go out kayaking all the time in Florida? They're everywhere. 
I keep a good eye on them. That's for sure. <laughs> I mean, sometimes, you know, in, in South Carolina, they have worse gators than we do here. And I came within three feet on a bike trail of a ginormous alligator right around a bend on the bike trail. But, you know, I don't think you were expecting a discussion like that. So I wasn't. But I love the energy of I will try almost anything else because the risk yeah. of failing is so what? I do it again. And I think that's part of what keeps you so relevant for today and for the younger generations. Like, well, let's try. Let's see. Your, your, your success is always based on your ability to take a risk. And your ability to take a risk is based on your ability to make peace with the fact that it may not work out. You may fail. So what? Do the next thing. Okay, perfect. All right, my guest today is Fawn Germer. You can find more about her on her website, fawngermer.com. The book that we've been talking about is Coming Back. Um, it's about how to come back from your career, but I would say it's actually how to kickstart your career, regardless where you are, what stage you're in, and how do you move it forward for the next set of years, how many ever those are along the way. So join us next week for more wisdom and getting out of your comfort zone. And if you'd like to know more about how to apply any of these ideas, then join us at our brand new subscription service, outofthecomfortzone.com. We'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.